0: Hello, in this lecture, we're going to talk about managerial accounting as it relates to more long-term projects, long-term investments. We're going to talk about capital investments. So when we think about capital investments, we're usually thinking about those larger decision-making processes, things like purchasing buildings, things like purchasing equipment, possibly a a whole nother department, and those types of decisions. These are usually the decisions that we're going to need more analysis in. We're going to need to have more thought on them and have more systems and tools that we're going to kind of put together and use in order to help with these types of decisions why would that be the case well clearly they're going to be larger decisions they're going to have a larger dollar amount and therefore that larger dollar amount is going to be a bigger investment that we need to think about the investment is going to affect years into the future so we're talking about five years out 10 years out 20 30 years out types of investments we are speculating far into the future and of course whenever we speculate far into the future there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen in the future so we've got to take our best guess of what's going to happen in the future and put some analysis in terms of the market what's going to happen in the market you know how how much are we going to get back per year what's going to be the results of this investment and that's going to take some analysis. Uh, It may be difficult to change the decisions once we make these types of large decisions so if we went out and bought a new department we bought a new building or like some piece of equipment it's going to be difficult to reverse that so we want to make sure that that decision is something that we're committed to something that we want to do long term going forward and note that's often the case with different types of managerial decision making there's going to be some types of scenarios when it's better to go in and and move first be kind of the first mover and get that first mover effect and the benefit from that other times that the careful analysis is the better way to go And so that um, we don't have the waste of trying to reverse bad decisions, bad decisions that were very costly. So those are the kind of the trade-offs back and forth between different types of environments. When we think about the capital investments that we cannot remove or reverse, that's usually the type of thing where we want to apply some of these tools. We want to think about this a little bit more deeply and have the analysis before we make the uh, decision. So the first type of analysis we'll take a look at is going to be the payback period. Now we're going to have a bunch of different types of analysis tools in which to analyze these long-term decisions. Remember that we're talking about managerial accounting and not financial accounting, meaning that there's no required set of tools to use. These are going to be best practice type tools. and Each tool is going to have its pros and it's going to have its cons. Some tools are going to be what I would think as as more of a back-of-the-envelope type of calculation, things that we might use as a precursor to analyze some type of project. And then if it passes that precursor maybe we dive more deeply with some more in-depth analysis. The payback period is kind of one of those to me. It's going to be a pretty quick calculation we can take a look at. Not as sophisticated as some other calculations. If we then have a large project that we think uh, the payback period calculation looks good to us. Looks like the range that we want. Then uh, maybe we go to some more sophisticated type of analysis. So we could use some of these same tools on different types of projects. So the payback period is calculating how long it'll take to get back, pay back, the initial investment. So payback period, when are we going to get paid back for the initial investment? So if we put money down on a building, if we put money down on equipment, then how long is it going to take before that money is going to pay off? And we can think about this type of calculation, a lot of these type of calculations, for personal uh, benefit as well. When we think about our personal lives, if we thought about a house, how long is it going to pay back, or a new car, The difference is the problem is that when we think about the business we're thinking about how much revenue is it going to get. So if we put a building into the business we buy a new building we're going to think how much added revenue is that building going to get. How much value we're going to get in terms of increased revenue because that's the goal of the business. We put it in there in order to generate revenue. So we need to come up with some type of calculation. How is this building going to achieve the goal of generating revenue? How much revenue is it going to generate? And then we can do the calculation of let's take the cost of the investment divided by the annual revenue that's going to be increased through the investment and then we can see how long it'll take for the investment to pay itself back. A little bit more difficult for the the personal assets because our goal is different. Our goal is not just revenue generation. Our goal is whatever our goal is to be happy or whatnot but if we can kind of monetize in some way the type of value the amount of value we're going to get from the asset yearly from the purchase of the asset then we can still have some type of analysis that would be similar Meaning we could take the cost of the house and say we're getting a yearly benefit worth this amount of income for the house. And then divide it out and see how long it would take to get the payback period in uh, that type of calculation as well. So clearly what we want then is to have a shorter payback period. So when we're talking about these projects, remember we're talking about like 5 years out, 10 years out, 30 years out. Um, So we're going to get revenue throughout into the future. We'd rather get the initial investment back sooner if possible. And that's going to be the type of calculation we're going to look at. So we clearly want less years in terms of being paid back. So for example, if we bought a piece of equipment for $10,000 and we thought the equipment's going to last, have a useful life of seven years, and we thought that it's going to help to generate an increase in revenue yearly of $2,000, that's the difference in revenue without the machine and with the machine, then we would take the initial investment we're putting down on day one, $10,000 divided by the $2,000. And we'd say, okay, it's going to pay itself off in five years. And that's going to be the point. We're going to last it for seven years. We think it's going to benefit the company for seven years, but we think it's going to pay itself back within the five. That's going to be that kind of quick calculation. It's kind of like a worst case scenario. It's like, well, worst case scenario, we think it's going to pay us back here. It's going to start generating revenue then after that time period. Now, you might be thinking there's going to be some types of situations that will not have an even type of revenue that it's going to generate what if we bought the machine we think it's going to make uh, 5,000 increase of revenue in year one and like 3,000 increase in year two and like 2,000 in year three some type of uneven income generation then we can't just take the cost in this case 10,000 divided by an even yearly increase in revenue of course because we don't have an even yearly so then we'd have to take the cost and then divide it out or allocate the the income per year until it adds up to the cost of the machine and that would be how many years so it would be a bit more complicated of a calculation but you could see how we would just add up the costs each year until it has paid itself up now there are some problems to the payback period and those are going to be this is more of like a back of the envelope co- calculation to give us a quick type of uh, analysis the problem with it of course is it doesn't give us any time value of money if we're talking about a 30 year out project or if we're saying five years it's going to pay itself back it doesn't really pay itself back in five years because the money we're getting, the 2000 we got in year five, is worth less than 2000 today, and therefore that time value of money is not being accounted for. So it's a rough estimate in that way. Also, doesn't calculate for the profit. It just tells us kind of the worst case scenario. It says we're going to get our money back within this time period. And the reason we're investing, of course, is not just to get our money back. The reason we're investing is to generate money. So we need to know how much it's going to generate after the payback period, after the five years. After we get paid back in that five years, we're still going to have the machinery for two more years. How much is it going to generate for those two years? Is it going to be there after that? So Those types of calculations we're going to need. So Once we do the payback period, we might then say, okay, this looks something like we want to dig into deeper. Let's do some more analysis on it, use some other tools in it. The next calculation we're going to take a look at is the accounting rate of return. The accounting rate of return is going to be similar in that it'll be kind of a back of the envelope calculation. The difference between the accounting rate of return and the payback period is that the accounting rate of return is going to take a calculation based on the net income that's going to be generated from the capital purchase of the capital asset rather than basically just the cash flow. So when we think about a capital investment usually we thought last time of course that it's going to generate some amount of cash some amount of revenue and there's also going to be the expense related to it of depreciation at least and notice that that depreciation is a non-cash item so a lot of times a lot of calculations we're going to remove that a lot of times because we're trying to think about how long it's going to take in order to get our cash back the return on the investment this one's going to take the net income type approach from the transaction so what we're going to do is we're going to take the net income from the investment into the capital asset we're going to divide that by the annual average investment So we're going to say, okay, how much income are we going to get? So that's going to be the added revenue that we're going to get from the investment minus any expenses, including most likely depreciation if we're buying a capital asset. And then we're going to divide that by the annual average investment. Now, this number is a bit more tricky to get to because we're going to have to use some type of estimate in order to do that. So the quickest and easiest type of estimate to do that, and it is going to be a quick calculation, because remember this is kind of a back of the envelope calculation, a kind of quick calculation the easiest way to do that would be to take the beginning book value and then take the ending book value at the end of the time period and then divide it by two so we'll take the beginning book value the ending book value oftentimes at the end of the time period the ending book value is going to be zero because we're going to assume that it is fully depreciated so we'll take the whatever the cost of is plus zero at the end of the time period divide by two and that's kind of like the average investment that we have so if we take the net income per year times divided by the average investment, that's going to be the idea that we want. And we want, of course, if we're comparing projects this time, we would like this number to be higher. The higher project would be better in this case. Now you can see some problems on this is that uh, if we take that type of average, if we just basically take the calculation divided by 2, and we have an uneven book value over the time period, so, For example, if we use a straight line method, this type of estimation would work quite well most likely. But if we, if we assume that there's going to be an accelerated depreciation method and we think that that's going to be reflective of the actual uh, depreciation, the actual value, then we, we don't have the same kind of average from year to year. We're going to have a different average. We might want to get a more complex kind of calculation to figure out what the average is. on this simple type of method if we just look at a at a very basic example of it a quick calculation if we bought that piece of equipment for ten thousand dollars and we said it had a seven year useful life well at the beginning it had a ten thousand dollar value at the end of the useful life the value of it is of course zero so if we add the beginning of ten plus the zero we have the ten thousand and then if we divide that by two and we're kind of taking the average over that entire time period that of course would be 5000 and then if we say then we'd have to figure out what the net income is from this the annual net income from the purchase of this equipment. So that's going to be the revenue generated minus the expenses including depreciation. If we say that's something like $2,000 per year then our calculation would be okay we've got net income $2,000 per year divided by the average investment of $5,000 and we'd have a 40% return. So that's going to be the quick calculation example that we can do in this format. Now notice we have the same limitations. The same kind of quick calculation that we can put together very easily, very quickly to make some simple comparisons. But we have the same problems in that it doesn't really take into the time, the, a factor of time value of money. Uh, it doesn't tell us and we're using a pretty significant estimate in terms of the average here. And we really want to use this as a preliminary and if we wanted to go deeper into larger projects, we would most likely want to have some calculations that take into account the time value of the net present value calculation. Our next tool does take into account the time value of money. So this would be a bit more sophisticated type of calculation to take a bit more time in order to put together. But when we're thinking about those long-term projects, we probably do want to do a calculation such as this. So in order to calculate the time, the net present value, what we want to do is look at those cash flows. We want to say what is going to be the cash inflows? What are going to be the cash outflows? And then we need to discount those cash flows. We need to put them into one time period. And that's going to be the difference that we are going to have here. What we're recognizing is the fact that if we had $2,000 of revenue, say seven years from now, it's not worth $2,000 in today's terms. We need to have comparing the same type of thing. We need to be comparing things in today's dollars, not in future dollars. We know that the future dollars are different than today's dollars for a couple different reasons. One, that just the measuring tool is going to change, meaning that uh, there's going to be uh, inflation most likely so the t- the value of the dollars for purchasing power at that point in time will generally be less and we also have to think about the opportunity cost of the money if we had the 2000 today we can per- we can invest it somewhere we can get a return on that money and therefore we need to think about that type of return we need to discount that in some way so what we're going to do is we're-, we're going to use a discount rate in some way to do that And the way we're going to think about that, how are we going to get to the discount rate? How are we going to think about, you know, how much we're going to do that is we're going to think mainly the opportunity cost of our second best option. So if we were to put that money somewhere else in our second best option in order to generate revenue, what's the second best rate of return that we could get? And that might be one way that we can kind of think about what that rate of return needs to be for this project if we're comparing things out. We also know that there will be inflation. So of course we have to basically clear that to be kind of the opportunity cost of where else we could put the money in order to apply a discount rate. Once we do that, we can think about the cash inflows and the cash outflows. So if we put the initial investment in there of the 10,000, we know that's in today's dollars. And if we were going to get a 2000 return each year for the seven years, what we'd need to do is take those 2000 and discount it back to the current time period. Now there's a couple ways we can do that and one we can use formulas to do that. We can also use tables to do that. And tables are, are pretty easy to use. That's often one way to go is you can look up the tables and try to figure out the present value with, these, with this information. At first use they can be a bit intimidating but once you use them they're pretty basic to use. Uh, the tables that you'll probably be looking at if you were to look up tables on time value of money. One would be called the present value of one. What that's going to do is basically say if there's one dollar amount in the future and we're trying to get it back to today's dollars. So if we're talking about that $2,000 seven years out from now and we're trying to get it out to down to today's dollars at a discount rate of 10%. That would be kind of the rate of return that we were hoping to get. Then if we know those two things, if we know the number of years, seven years out, the discount rate at 10%, then we can use the table of one in order to get that information. Now another table that we'll probably see that's related oftentimes is going to be the future value of 1. Now this is going to be less useful, but it's one that you need to see when you want to be able to compare and contrast the two. If you're looking at the future value of 1, that would be like there's 2,007 7 years out, and we're trying to value the initial 10,000 investment in future numbers, and future values. And so that's not the one we're looking for here. Usually we're trying to pull those investments of future numbers into the current period, into today's uh, value. We also could see a table for the present value of an annuity. Now what's an annuity? That's going to be an equal sum of payments. So if we had for our example, if we said that we were having uh, $2,000 of revenue for seven years, then rather than using the present value of one table where we'd have to say, okay, one year out, we have the $2,000. we are going to multiply it out. Two years out, we got the $2,000. we are going to multiply it out and then add all those together. That would be the, the cash flow in present value terms at the discount rate of 10%. Rather than doing that, we can simplify that and say, well, this is just an annuity. It's all the same uh, investments. Therefore, we can use this table and we could just go to the seven years out or, or the seven years out at the 10% and look for that rate here. It would be, it looks like 4.8, uh, something 4.868. And note that what it's, what it, if we were thinking about the cash flow, it would be 2,000 times seven. That would be the cash flow if we were going to get 2,000 a year. 14,000. If we think about the table, notice that we're getting something like uh, four point something uh, in order to calculate this. It's a lot less than seven. We're not just saying the the number times the number of years because that's going to be the discount effect. So when looking at an annuity, it's going to be a number that's going to be less than the number of years, probably greater than one if it's more than one years of a project. Now, if the payments were uneven, like if it wasn't 2,000 each year, we got like 2,000 in year one, and then in year two, we got 3,000, and year three, we got 1,000, or some type of uneven payment, we couldn't use the annuity table. So then what we would have to do is figure out what the cash flow would be each year, and then look at the present value of one table. So if we looked at the present value of one table at 10%, and we said, okay, we're gonna make 2,000 at the end of year one, then we'd have to multiply that times .909 it looks like. And then if we said we're going to have, you know, 3,000 in the year, end of year two, we estimate Then we have to multiply that times .8 something and note that each of these are going to be less as we go down and we'd have to add up all those present values. So that would be a bit time consuming. Not too difficult, however, if we just figure out what those estimated cash flows would be, look at the proper table and then discount those. Not too bad of a calculation. Now, one confusing thing to me, and there's a lot of students have confusion over uh, what how we're going to use this net present value. Note that no matter what happens, if we took the net present value of the cash inflows in our case, and then we subtracted it times the outflow, which was the ten thousand that's already present value because it's at the beginning of the year, and we got anything that's positive, like if it was even if it was one, if we got one, uh, people might say, well, that's not we're not making much money there. One that doesn't sound too high of a number. But note that that's a project that we would potentially accept under this kind of scenario because we are receiving a 10% return. So, this type of analysis, what we're doing is we're saying, here's the 10% return that we want to get. If our analysis says that we have the discounted revenue minus the discounted expenses, and it's anything that's positive, that means that we got a rate of return over 10%. And therefore, it's something that we would accept under those conditions. It was something that we would except because it's getting a rate of return over 10%. Now, what if we had two projects and we're comparing them, and we did the same type of calculation, then obviously if the one project was just over at $1, and the other project was way over at you know, like $10,000 or something, then we would probably think that, that that one that's further over in the discount rate in the positive number would be a better project than the one that's only $1 over. But there's problems with that kind of analysis because the two projects might have different time horizons. The one project might be a five-year project, and the other one might be a 20-year project. So when we do that type of comparison, it's not as accurate, and it's also not really telling us how much over the the other one was gonna is gonna be. Meaning, it doesn't tell us the actual rate of return uh, because we know that we're getting a rate of return of 10% plus something, <laughs> but we don't know exactly what that plus something is. So that's kind of the drawback on the calculation of the net present value the net present value gives us kind of that benchmark very nice and neatly saying we're going to get a project that clears our benchmark that benchmark in this case being 10 percent but when we're comparing projects that cleared the benchmark and they have different time horizons and they can be very different in the the capital investments in that way it, it may be a little bit more difficult to figure out exactly which project we could choose in that type of scenario. The next tool that we will take a look at is the internal rate of return. The internal rate of the return is the attempt to calculate the actual rate of return on the project. So whereas the net present value is looking for a rate that we want to achieve and clear, such as that 10% rate, and we can know that we have cleared it, we don't know exactly what the rate of return is. The internal rate of return is looking for that rate uh, that the actual project has. So we're looking for the rate at which we're, we're the present values of the cash flows minus the initial investments would be 0 so if we were thinking about the net present value calculation we're kind of looking for that interest rate if we did it over and over again the one that basically makes the present value exactly equal to 0 so if we went through that net present value calculation and we tested a bunch of different factors to find that one in which the net present value of the inflows is equal to the net present value of the outflows then that interest rate that discount rate that we would be using would be like the internal rate of return the actual rate of return so we could do that a bit more simplified. We could try to think about a simplified way to think about the, what the rate of return would be. For example, uh, we could look at our project and work backwards using the uh, discount annuity of one table. So for example, if we had our project that we put the 10,000 into the computer, we thought that we were gonna get 2,000 a year for seven years, then we can take that $10,000 of initial investment, divide it by the 2,000 that we're going to get each year and see what that rate would be. It would be five, of course, in this example. And then if we went to our present value table and we looked into that seven-year column, we said, okay, it's going to be seven years out. And we just tried to find what uh, rate is at, what number, where the five is closest to that number. And we go through the table and try to find the number uh, of five on there. And it's between uh, nine and 10%, it looks like here. So we would say okay that rate of return then is for that seven year project is between nine and ten percent. That's one way we can back into the internal rate of of return one way we can calculate that. Now if we have have payments that are not equal so that situation where we have you know we're going to get two thousand next year and then we'll get five thousand the year after that and then the year after that we'll get three thousand. If we have uneven uh, rates of return uneven investment uneven income over those time periods Then we could use computer software in some way to to create a formula to do this type of calculation. It could be much more complicated in that scenario. Or we can do that same thing we talked about with the net present value. In that we just keep on recalculating the net present value using different rates. And uh, see when the net present value is closest to zero. So we'll just keep on trial and error on the net present value calculation until we get a number that's close to zero. And that would mean that that would be the actual rate of return for that project. Now when we decide whether we want to accept or not accept a project. We're generally going to get that internal rate of return. And compare it to it's often called a hurdle rate. A rate that we expect projects to be over. So if we said that we expect projects to have a 10% rate of return. And we calculated the internal rate of return. If we got anything 10% or above. Then we would accept the project. Uh, note that the internal rate of return can also be helpful when we're comparing the two different projects. If we're comparing project A and project B the internal rate of return can be a good comparison to see which of the projects has the higher uh, actual rate of return. So that's going to be the summary of the tools that we can use here. Remember we have the kind of back of the envelope type of calculations. We've got the payback period which is just going to say when are we going to actually get our initial investment back not taking into time, into account the time value of money and uh, that's going to be a quick calculation we had the accounting rate of return that's going to be looking at the net income from the project income and expenses not just the cash flow but it's still kind of a quick calculation a quick average that's uh, going to give us some information in a short period of time not taking into account the present value of money then we have the two kind of calculations that do take into account the present value of money we've got the net present value calculation uh, if it's just an, an annuity and all the payments are the same, it's a much easier calculation. If it's not, then we got a, we got a present value each year out and then bring it back using the annuity tables to the current time period and then add all those up. And that would give us the number, the net present value as of this time period. And remember, the key there is that we are looking for a percentage out rate that's already built into the calculation. So if it's 10% and anything that's positive, over that percent we're good we're gonna we're gonna use it because it's over that 10 percent within that period it doesn't measure how much the actual percent of return is and that's what the internal rate of return will attempt to do so if we have once again a fairly standard like annuity type of return that's even we can calculate the internal rate of return much more easily if it's a uneven return then it gets a little more complicated to actually calculate the exact what that internal rate of return is but those two types of methods are tools that actually take into account the time value of money and are the more useful tools when we're thinking about uh, more large uh, scale projects.